I should open up your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. It's good to see everyone out this evening. Um, I, I would just uh, I'd like to add something very quickly. If you haven't grabbed one of the uh, directory pages in the back on the, on the table right next to the front door, um, that's always kind of weird to say, in the back and then the front door. By the front door, that table there, it's got a few sheets for the directories. Um, make sure you pick those up if you haven't already. Um, and if, if you're one of the newer members then uh, and you need a directory, you can uh, talk to or ask Miss Carolyn about that. She puts a lot of hard work into those. Um, and, and you can even see in the back there, <laughs> again in the back, uh, with that board up there with all of the pictures of, of the members here with the names on it. She's, she's been updating that and putting those in proper order. So um, just appreciate the work she's doing there and just make sure that if you have any questions about that or you need something um, she'll she'll be able to take care of that for you um, and just like I said make sure if you don't haven't grabbed one of those sheets already go ahead and grab that because we'll probably uh, be putting the rest of those downstairs in the resource room in the next couple of weeks as they've been out for for a couple weeks now as I said if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 51 <clears throat> Psalm 51 uh, I, I want to look at one prayer um, that, that David gives, and it has specific context, uh, specifically with some pretty dramatic issues that come up in his life, and, and because of his own choices. Uh, and this would be a, a psalm you're familiar with, a story you're familiar with, but I think it's interesting because all throughout the psalm, it's dealing with sin. But as you look at David's words and as you, you listen to the language, what you find is the appropriate mindset, the appropriate attitude that a Christian, that, that, well, that a servant of God and ultimately that a Christian should have when it comes to sin, that everyone should have when it comes to sin. When they realize what they have done, what sin has done to them. Uh, and so I want to look at some of the language that, that David uses here. I, I will say I've done a study on this psalm before, and there's just so much that we could talk about. This is kind of um, a condensed version of some things that I've discussed before. But really, I just want to look at a few basic things as, as we look at J uh, David speaking about his sin and, and really the appropriate attitude that we must have if we want to be right before God when it comes to our sin. And I want to look at, as, he, as we go through this prayer, what exactly David says sin has done to him, done to his mind, done to his will, his resolve. I want to look at, at all of that with just a few points throughout the psalm. And I would just begin by reading the psalm in its entirety. It says, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So there's the context. Verse 1 of Psalm 51, it says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. 
Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, in burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Now again, I think that there is just so much that you can take, that you can study out throughout this entire psalm. We're not going to really go verse by verse tonight in, in, uh, as we go through just a few thoughts here. Like I said, I want to focus specifically on just a, a few uh, bits and pieces of the, the language that David uses and, and speak to what exactly sin does and what it does to the individual and really looking at what he was willing to do to be right with God. So first of all, as we look at sin, it is a betrayal. And ultimately, it's a betrayal of God. Now, I would just say from the beginning, as you look in verse 4, David makes it very clear who he sinned against. <laughs> you, you only have I sinned. I like the New English translation because it, it, it translates it as you above all. And I really think that's a good way of putting it. I don't think that David has just forgotten everyone else that he has hurt with this sin, specifically sin with Bathsheba. Remember, he killed Uriah the Hittite, which was her rightful husband after... Uh, committing adultery with Bathsheba and, and conceiving a child through that adultery. And so there's, there's right off the bat, just a few t terrible things that, that even David committed, that even he did, that he was guilty of. And it caused so much pain and so much chaos that did not need really to happen at all. And so I, I will say, I, with all that being said, I don't think David is just forgetting or taking away his responsibility from others. That's, that's really not what he's doing. He's ultimately, I think, heightening his responsibility by going to what is the worst thing he has done. He's, he's sinned against God. <laughs> and I really believe it, that it would behoove us to look at sin the exact same way. Sin tends to have collateral damage. It often causes pain and, and, and um, catastrophe, not just for ourselves, but for everyone in, in close proximity, especially when we're committing the sin around people. And, 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 and what does that, how, how then should we look at that? We need to be sorry about what we do to people about the damage we have done through our choices, through our bad choices, but we need to ultimately acknowledge and realize that the worst offense has been against God. And I, I really think that we would do well to teach the younger generation, teach our children, like this, um, to, to, to feel shame or to fear when, when uh, we have done wrong, to fear when we come to, you know, our parents confessing to our parents that we shouldn't have done something, but we have done something nonetheless. Uh, you kind of see that very naturally within the family unit, that, that there is that shame and that there's that initial, I really don't want to have to talk about this because I know it was wrong in the first place. But I think that needs to be translated over to God. It, it, not just translated, it needs to be amplified. And we need to be teaching people that way. I love, there, there's a preacher, uh, and I've said his name before, but Brother Tom Holly in Mississippi, uh, I love the way that he put this. He talked about how he would train up his kids in the way of the Lord and how he would try to discipline them. And as he would discipline them, 
One of the things he would say frequently was, I didn't want my son to just obey me because I was stronger and bigger than him. Because frankly, when he became a teenager, that wasn't going to cut it. Because now he was stronger and bigger than me. From a very young age, I wanted him to understand that, that he needed to be sorry for this. Not just because I, would, I, I could you know, make him sorry. Not just because I could spank him. But because this has been displeasing to God. We need have that kind of mindset. And that's a mindset that I really want to instill in my own son. I, I want from a very early age to make that point clear. Yes, you've disappointed me, but you've done something even worse. That's bad enough. It should be bad enough. But what's worse is you have disappointed and you have put God to shame. And I think that's what David is saying here. And so we need to understand that sin always grieves God most. And even when it has done immense damage on, on the earthly plane, think about how much worse it is when God sees that. So it, that's what you see from the very beginning of, of the psalm. But then you continue on, and what you find is, especially looking at the sin that David had committed, just because God is merciful, even within that story, you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 9. Look at what God says is going to come to David because of that sin. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, or but, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. Now I would just say from verses 9 to 14, there are several consequences that God says David is going to receive because of his sin and his choices. And all those are rightfully so, that he would receive them. Now, what's interesting is in the middle of all of that, God says, or, or, uh, God says through Nathan, I, I have taken away your sin and, and I have forgiven you. I've pardoned you. Yet the consequences still come. And that's, that's something that, that's a, uh, a connection that we need to make today because it is absolutely the same. Just because God is a God of mercy, is, is a God that's slow to anger, and is a God that really, uh, I, I like the way Micah puts it in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. Isn't that interesting? This is a God that delights in unchanging love. So what does that mean? Well, we're just going to look over everything. That's not what God does. He is a God of unchanging love. He is a God that delights in forgiveness and mercy, but that doesn't mean that the physical consequences necessarily are going to be taken away. No, David's still going to have to deal with those physical consequences. And likewise, we too are going to have to deal with those consequences. Does that mean God's not merciful? No. He's been merciful to the utmost degree. But that doesn't mean that we are not going to have to deal with physical consequences. You think about the, the man who has committed adultery, much like David. 
But, but today, if, if someone were to commit adultery and, and he goes to his wife and, and they, try to, they try to get forgiven, uh, they, they actually uh, try to reconcile. Well, the wife says, I'm not willing to reconcile in that way. I'm not, I, I, I'm not willing to, to continue this marriage because of what you've done. But I do forgive you. Could someone look at that wife and say, oh, she doesn't really forgive because that's so not like what God does. No, 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 no. We're not going to go that far. Because from the scriptures, we even see that, that there is one exception. For well, here's the rule. Here's the general rule. God says divorce shouldn't happen. He says, I hate divorce. Let it not be. But he says one exception is that adultery. And, and so when, when he gives that and, and someone utilizes that, we don't get to look at them and say, oh, how unloving, how, how unforgiving. That's not fair. That's, that's just not fair because God doesn't even look like that. And, and so just because the man repents, that doesn't mean that, that he doesn't have to deal with the physical consequences of, of the divorce. And he doesn't get to say, how dare you? No, no, no. How dare, how dare you? Because you broke that covenant. You're the one who's guilty, not, not the other way around. And so they have to deal with the physical consequences. You think um, about someone who's, who's preached the gospel while they're in prison, while they're incarcerated. And this, this person's even baptized while in prison. Well, would he be able to say then, I've been baptized, all my sins have been washed away. And even though I have shed much blood on this earth, my sins have been washed away. So now I'm, I'm, I'm to be let go. I don't have to serve the rest of my sentence. Would, would a man be able to say that? No, no, no. No, there are still physical consequences that he has to deal with. That doesn't mean all charges are going to be dropped. What it does mean, though, is that you can have peace in knowing that the greatest charge has been dropped. But there are still consequences you have to deal with. And I think that that's important to, to understand as well. That it is a betrayal, and most of all to God. And just because God is so loving, and God is so good to us and merciful, that does not mean that even when he forgives us, that, that everything is going to go back to the way it was. That doesn't necessarily mean that. So we have to be willing to recognize that and live out those consequences, just like David. Now, finally, with this point, you can even see all throughout Psalm 51, David does not ever try to put down or consider a small thing the sins that he's committed. He is very clear about what he has done. I have committed iniquity. And we'll look at that word more in just a moment. But in verse 16, he says, uh, in, in Psalm 51, Psalm 51 in verse 16, he says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offering. Now, obviously, David's not saying God never delights in these things, but, but he is saying, what I have done, there's no sacrifice for. The sacrifice is, is my death, David's death. David understands that. And so from the get-go, he prays to God. And I love how you even see that in 2 Samuel chapter 12. He doesn't, try to, he doesn't try to belittle what he's done, and he doesn't try to shift the blame on anybody else. While Nathan is rebuking him, he has the, the righteous uh, disposition to say, you're 100% right, I've sinned against God. And it just continues, as you see in his prayer to God in Psalm 51. He, he, he makes clear what I have done is, is especially when you, when you try to look at it on an earthly plane from a human perspective, it's, it's unforgivable. But when you look to God, which is what he does, you, you look at that and you say, okay, if that's the case, what saved him? Well, very clearly God. In verse 17, he says, 
The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You go all the way back to verse 1, and he says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. He's leaning on the, 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 the holiness, the, the love, and the, uh, the grace and the mercy of God. Now, again, he knows that that's not going to take all the physical consequences away, but he leans on the only thing that he can, which is the one he betrayed in the first place, but with a godly sorrow, not with a worldly sorrow, a godly one, with that broken spirit and contrite heart. Now, I think that here is a stark contrast between David and the previous king of Israel. Instead of acknowledging sin like David did, what, what did Saul do? He trivialized it. You look in 1 Samuel chapter 15, and instead of devoting everything to destruction, like God had said, he decides, actually, you know what, I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm actually going to spare the king. I'm going to spare the best of the flock. And we've talked about that before. <laughs> but, but in his reasoning, as he's speaking to Samuel, what, what have you done? <gasps> well, you don't understand all, but, but this, but this, but this. He's trivializing what he did. He has sinned against God. He has betrayed God. Now, that's not the way David reacted. We need to react less like Saul and more like David, who even in the very moment that he's being rebuked said, you're right. Very rarely do we respond that quickly, especially when it's, when it's something where we don't look very good. When our pride is being attacked, a lot more often we like to act like Saul and trivialize the sin, trivialize what we have done wrong. There are Christians who, who do this week by week or day by day. There are Christians who think that they can live like heathens all week but we can make up for it by going to the assembly. There are Christians who think that they can secretly consume uh, uh, pornography on their computers or on their phones all week, but guess what? At least I'm going to the assembly, so that makes up for it. Or there are Christians who, who think they can murder their brother in their heart, look at 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, but they think that they can think so bitterly and hatefully about their brother and murder them in their heart. But, but you know, I'm still coming to the assembly, so it's all okay. It's not okay. You're sinning. And, through, and with each sin, you have betrayed the Almighty, the most beloved, what's supposed to be your most beloved. David understands that. And he doesn't let that go. And he doesn't try to, to, whether it be in public or in private with God, try to act like, well, these things don't really matter that much. It matters a ton. Sin is a betrayal. But not only that, when it comes to what it does to us, it hurts us to, to a degree that I don't think that we fully understand sometimes. Or maybe we just forget. With every single sin, it hardens our heart. And it does damage to our, to our soul that makes it so, so thick and calloused <laughs> that, that being pricked by God's word, being pricked by, by things that it should be touched by, it, we don't allow that. Why? Because we've spent so much time hardening it. We've spent so much time callousing ourselves so that we, we aren't open to the word of God or the things that should move us. And so what I want to look at for the next few moments is as you read through this prayer, David is not asking for an easy path forward. And why is that? Because he's already made things really hard on himself. And we're not talking about just the physical consequences of his son having to die. We're not just talking about the physical consequences that are never, the sword is never going to depart from your house. We're not just talking about that. We're talking about inwardly 
And this battlefield is a bit harder, is a bit more difficult to deal with. Softening the heart is a difficult task, but it can be done with God's help. And so I want to just look at one word for a moment. In verses 2 and 7 of this psalm, what you see is the word wash. In verse 2 specifically, he says, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Now, just a little bit of, um, if I can just nerd out for a moment, I want to give you the definition of this word. The the Strong's, as it looks at this this word being used, it says it's uh, to trample or to wash properly by stamping with the feet, whether literal, including the fulling process, or figurative. Uh, And sometimes you hear throughout the Old Testament scriptures, the fuller's soap or the, the fuller's washing I wanted to go through that just to say, when you think about wash, what you tend to think about is, well, dishwashers and and the washers that we put our clothes in. Those are pretty (laughs) handy doohickeys, aren't they? Uh, I would, and be careful how I say this, (laughs) I don't think, most of us do not know how people used to wash their clothes without, without washers. Some do. (laughs) <laughs> they remember what it was like before the washers came into their house. Let me just say, I'm not saying that anybody's old for remembering that. I'm just saying that, that especially in our culture today, almost no one knows how difficult that used to be <laughs> and the violent process that it looked like when, when one had to wash their clothes. What's interesting is that even in the Old Testament, this word only has to do with laundry every single time it's used. We're not going to go here, but in Leviticus chapter 13, this word is used over and over again when talking about garments or, or things that were stained by leprosy, by disease. And he says that to, to be purified fully, they had to be washed. And, and, and in each of these verses, you see it used time and time again. And, and ultimately, what it has to do with is that, that trampling process to, to stamp with the feet. It was, a, it was a violent, vigorous process to wash clothes back then. What's interesting is, while every other time this word is used, it has to do with laundry, the only other time it's used not having to do with laundry is Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is the only place that it comes up and, and the importance of that is, before, uh, while, while David is speaking about what he asked God to do for him because of his sin, what is he saying? Put me through that violent process. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be painful. But I know I need it. Put me through it. You know that um, we, we even use the term sometimes, I've been through the ringer. And again, maybe some even remember, and what that was literally was there was two little rolling uh, uh, rollers that people would put a piece of cloth in between. It was a very tight squeeze, and what you would do, you'd wring it out and make sure that all of that moisture came out, and it really did the trick. And again, it, it, it didn't look very, very, um, you know, pleasing. It, it wouldn't have been a very pleasurable thing to go through yourself. It was a violent process. And, and so what is David saying? Put me through the ringer. Even though this is going to hurt, I know that this is what repentance requires. And so even though it does, even though it's going to be hard, even though it's going to be difficult, God, I need this washing. Put me through it. Let me just ask, after all of that, did you know that this is what repentance truly looks like? Not just, oh, I guess I can never do that again. It is that, but it's also 
you are changing the heart. At least you're trying to. You are trying to undo the damage that you have done to your heart and your mindset. In, in, again, in verse 2, he says that he wants God to wash him from his iniquity. And, and basically that word iniquity means <laughs> bent out of shape. What have you done every time you've sinned? You have made yourself crooked. You have bent yourself from that upright position you were supposed to be. And, and what is it going to take? But God's going to have to bring you back upright. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22, I think this is essentially the idea. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22. <clears throat> it says, although you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, or the, the fuller soap, the stain of your iniquity is before me, declares the Lord God. What's interesting is that both the word wash that we are looking at in iniquity is here in there. And what were they trying to do? They were trying to wash themselves outside of God's process. And it wasn't enough. What do we need to do? We need to be washed with, with God's washing, not with the world's, not with our own. We need to be put through the ringer by Him. And what that means is it's not just going to be, oh, well, let's just wash my hands, all done. No. You're going to have to be washed by something a lot more powerful than just regular old soap. You're going to have to be washed by the blood of Christ. And let me tell you something that isn't, that isn't something that, that, you just, that you just accept and never do anything with. You have to, you are given the responsibility of understanding that not only am, am I being washed by Christ, but now I have to work on cleansing the mind on straightening what has been made crooked, on straightening what has been bent out of shape because of my own choices. And, and through all of this, what David is saying is, please let it be. I want to, the reason I go through all of that is just to say, I want to understand how hard of a process that can be. It's not necessarily comfortable. I, I remember talking to a guy when, when I was working at Terry Lee Honda, I was detailing cars with a guy and he had some back issues and he was talking about this machine that sounds like it came straight out of someone's nightmares. It was basically someone is strapped so tightly that they cannot move. <laughs> and, and, and what this machine does is basically straighten them out and then start bending them backwards more and more and more until something pops in their back. <laughs> this is how it was explained to me. I'm not trying to you know, make it sound more terrifying. This is just how it was explained to me. And finally, when that thing was popped, he said, oh, all the pressure was taken away. I will say, it wasn't a fun process. But by the end of that process, the deformity in, the, in his back was at least helped to, do, to a degree. It didn't hurt as much. Some of the pain was taken away. It, I would have to be in a tremendous amount of pain to, to even approach a machine such as that. But, but, but as I say, if it does the trick, you're going to go through a lot to make sure that you get that healing that you need. And I, and I would just add, the more crooked we've become, the more painful it will be. The more time it may take. But God promises that he can wash us. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, he says he can wash us of our sins, but he never said that it was going to be necessarily entertaining or 100% comfortable. And so, as we close with some application, I want to ask, are we willing to be washed? What does this look like, having the attitude of David? It's acknowledging a few things. 
One, are we willing to spend the time to learn the good behavior, the righteous behavior that he says we need to have? The man who has spent an entire lifetime sinning against God and, and not knowing his will, but he finally comes to God, he learns the gospel, he wants to become a Christian, he has to understand and recognize that this might take time to get fully to the right place, to get rid of all of the bad habits, fully. It's not like you just, as soon as you're baptized, your, your mind is just uh, miraculously changed and you never think sinfully again. Or you never look at someone sinfully again. Yes, you're, you're washed of your sins, but, but it's going to take a continual growth. It's going to take a continual effort to make sure that I continue living up to that goal, up to that standard of being baptized into Christ's death to rise in newness of life. And so we have to understand, it may take time to change all of the things that need to change. Repentance is a continual process. And we have to understand that if we want to have the mindset of David. Are we willing to accept the discomfort like David? Because it absolutely will be difficult. And it will be uncomfortable. The Christian who's trying to quit drinking alcohol... He under, understands, or he is going to be willing to accept, there's going to be some withdrawal. Even though it's going to cause some discomfort, even though it's going to cause some pain, he's willing to take it. Why? Because this is what God says is going to get me to the place I need to be. Are we willing to be uncomfortable? Are we willing to accept what will be difficult? Are we willing to put the effort into it? Because it will take effort. <clears throat> I use this example a lot because I think it, it, it really strikes at the heart of what sin does to us as it, it, it's, its corruptive nature. But when you think about pornography, all along what you are doing is you are making crooked and twisting your brain. You, you're twisting it to think in such a way that it was not designed to think. And you are... are creating mental habits in your brain to only view certain individuals in very specific ways all the time. And when you've done that for a very long time and you've allowed that sin to completely take over your life, guess what? It's going to be very hard to change what's been twisted. And, and the man who has been so, or woman, who has been so enveloped in that sin, they're going to have to be willing to cut out the eye. That's, that's what's interesting about Jesus' application in the Sermon on the Mount. When he talks about the man who, who's lusting with his eyes, he uses extreme application. If your eye causes you to sin, you, you pluck it out. If, if your arm causes you to sin, you cut it off. Are you willing to make that extreme of application? No, uh, he, he, he's not saying literally, you know, cut your eye out. But it is still extreme application. Are you willing to make a covenant with your eyes like Job talks about? Are you willing to, to not let the eye dwell? Because that's the person who has been addicted to this kind of a sin, that's what they've trained their eye to do. You've got to train it not to do that anymore. You've got to train the eyes to bounce off, not to dwell and meditate. But that's going to take a lot of effort and a lot of energy, and it will be uncomfortable, and it will take time. Are you willing to do that? Because I would say, if you are not willing to do that, if you just say, I can't, and I won't acknowledge or do these things, then let me tell you something. You do not have the spirit that David had. 
You don't have a broken and contrite heart. You can say it all you want, but if you're not willing to make the application and to truly wash yourself, you don't have that spirit. My, I go through all this. <laughs> I, I go through all this just to say, I want you to have this kind of spirit. Not just to have a worldly kind of sorrow that leads to death. I want you to have godly sorrow that leads to comfort and joy. And let me tell you something. When you've been washed thoroughly, when you've been washed truly, scripturally, it leads to joy and comfort un unimaginable, unfathomable. Because what has caused us so much damage, what has caused so much damage not just to us but to others, has been, has been subdued. And God does not, when he talks about sin, he does not talk about it in such a degree as to say, well, it's just in some nebulous area, and you know what, one day there's going to be victory, and you'll have to worry about this again. That is the case. God will have the ultimate victory. But what he says is, you can have victory now. You need to win the battle that is your soul, your mind, your heart. And, and brother, sister, friend, God says you can, but only with his help. And I would just implore that, that you take him up on that offer. If you're a Christian and you feel like you've really been struggling with some of these things, I know it can be hard to, to have to deal with a David moment where you have to make yourself vulnerable. But remember the words of David, not just in this psalm, but in like a psalm like Psalm 32 where he says, My bones were writhing within me. It was killing him inside. Why? Because he was living a lie. And we know that when we are. I don't want that for you. God does not want that for you. You don't have to live with that pain anymore. You can make your life right. If you are not a Christian and you would like that comfort and that joy, you need to be willing to have that kind of a mindset like David. Are you willing to repent truly? Do you really truly believe God? And what that means is you're going to be faithful. What that means is you are going to do what he says in every respect. Are you willing to confess that he is the son of the living God, that he, that, that he is the king? Pledge your loyalty to him publicly and be baptized into his death to rise in newness of life. Now that's not going to end the battle, but it will wash you of your sins and at least begin that process of, of continual joy, continual comfort that ultimately leads us to the greatest joy and comfort we'll ever have, and that's in heaven with God. If we can help you with that tonight, let us help you. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.